0: Welcome back to another episode of DTO Playbook Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about the ups and downs and ins and outs of being a Director of Therapy and Inpatient Rehab. I'm Shane Hosh, your host, and I'm excited this week to bring a special guest. So stay tuned and enjoy. I want to welcome David Griffith, um, and this is going to be a joy for me because even though we've worked together on different projects and things, I don't know as much about your background. But I do know... You're the Vice President of Therapy Operations at Ernest Health. You've been with the company since 2004. Um, From what I saw on LinkedIn, you went to the University of Utah as well. Uh, But fill in, because I I referred to you today when I was talking to a couple of DTOs. I said, he's like the Wizard of Oz. He's behind this curtain. He's there to help us, guide us along the way. But we don't know as much about you. So tell us a little bit more about yourself um, that you would like to share with the team that hasn't been with Ernest quite as long
1: okay so yeah it'll be 20 years and two months um coming up in two months i'll i will have worked for Ernest for 20 years um i did get my degree from the university of utah in speech language pathology worked for a couple of years at the university of utah medical center um and then ended up going over to at the time health south now encompass um i did speech services for them for about seven years and then i was the director of quality and risk management for a couple of years and then was the director of marketing for a year uh, at HealthSouth before I was contacted uh, by someone within Ernest. And I was the 20th employee hired, so that was kind of fun. So I've been able to see the company grow from having no hospitals up to, uh, we'll have 36 uh, coming up shortly.
0: So take Um, me back a little bit, because that's that's kind of the start of everything. So when you were the 20th employee, where did you go to work? What were you doing? What was... Was everybody in the same spot? Because we got more than 20 people in the rehab department right now. So probably more than 20 people out in the gym right now.
1: (laughs) So, so yeah, uh, there was a a kind of a core group that was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that were working in an office out of there. Um, I happened to be living in Utah at the time. And the original plan was that they wanted me to move down to Brownsville, Texas. And I love Brownsville. It's a fun place to visit. But the, the longer I spent there, the less excited I was to move my family there. And um, I started getting involved in the, the electronic medical record at the time. And uh, I started to get to know Lynn Fleming. And she said, well, you know, I need some help developing the EMR with the content that we need for rehab. Would you like to do that? And also train the staff on how to use that. And I said, well, does that mean I wouldn't have to move to Brownsville? And she said, yeah, I don't think you would. And I'm like, done, I'll do it. So I was very excited not to have to move to Brownsville, but she still wanted me to locate within one of our hospitals. So as we were beginning to open hospitals, um, I started looking at different locations. I looked in Colorado, Idaho. And. Um, But then they started talking about opening a hospital in ogden utah which is 20 minutes from where i live and so finally lynn just said you know what just stay where you're at let's see what happens in ogden so when ogden opened i did actually i do have an office in that hospital um but i never did have to move so that was kind of fun
0: and that's Um, the other side of a little bit of your background so we know education a little bit of work history now um i've seen a picture of you on a ski lift so what kind of hobbies what do you do when you're not Helping us out as directors at therapy. What do you? So like? I do
1: like to ski. Um, unfortunately, it's so expensive. I usually only go three or four times a year. But um, I, I think my real love and passion is running. I, I really enjoy running and and uh, riding my bike. Um, I enjoy both mountain biking and uh, my road bike. Uh, but running is really my true love. Um, about three four years ago, um, I kind of always had a goal to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and I finally did. Um, but my wife said, "Well, if you qualify, you really got to go do it." And so we kind of made a vacation out of it, and I went and ran the Boston Marathon. So that was kind of fun. But I still enjoy running. Um, kind of had a little bit of a setback with COVID in December, and I it's been kind of a uh, a real challenge to get back to for running the way that I was. But I'm getting there.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for sharing your background with us. It helps us to get to know you more as a person, in addition to. Um, all the support that you give for us. So uh let's move on a little bit. So let's look at another question. So you've worked in the almost 20 years at Earnest, you've worked with a lot of DTOs, probably all of us to some degree, right? So you've yeah. seen some really good ones, you've seen some great ones. Um, you've seen probably some not so very good ones, but let's just focus on the good and great ones. So what kind of qualities do you see or what traits, characteristics do you see that help somebody do well in this role?
1: So, you know, you you think about some of the the skills that you need to have, you know, we have our, uh, eventually we would like to be completely off Excel spreadsheets, but that'll probably never happen in our lifetime, you know? So, I mean, having skills in that is good. Um, You know, uh, time management, scheduling patients, you know, those are all important skills, but I'll be honest, those kind of things can be taught. And if someone came in and had absolutely, you know, minimal experience with any of those things, but had a really great attitude, really cared, was passionate about patient care, was, was real, had really good people skills, good communication skills. That's really what I look for because, you know, all the other things can come over time and can be, uh, can be learned but you can't learn a good attitude. If you start out with a bad attitude, it's, it's, you know, a bad attitude or, or not great communication skills. I mean, those are, those are kind of must, must haves for me.
0: With the communication skills. I I mean, I feel like sometimes in this role, I'm a conduit of communication. So it is written. It is things we're typing out. It's verbal. It's the phone, it's text. How has that evolved over the years? And how did, Maybe how is that going to continue to involve or evolve with community? Well,
1: you know, I think that it's great that we utilize text and email. Um, but, you know, in my mind, if, if you've sent more than two emails on the same topic, you probably should just pick up the phone and just or, or walk down the hall and talk to somebody. Um, you know, if it's if it's something that takes multiple emails or texts to resolve, um, usually just picking up the phone to make sure there's not ever a miscommunication or a misunderstanding. Um, You know, I I still really love personal communication, face-to-face communication.
0: At times, if we send a short text or don't phrase it just right, somebody can take it to be terse or it's easy to misunderstand each other, but it's harder when we're talking face-to-face to to have that miscommunication.
1: Absolutely. 100% agree.
0: How about uh, resources and books or podcasts or different ways that you found to help us keep keep our skills sharp and keep learning, keep growing as managers or as leaders for our departments?
1: Well, you know, I, I really just think continuing to read and learn and, or listen, like, you know, you would probably be a better resource to talk about, you know, various podcasts out there. Um, but you know, you, you mentioned in one of your questions coming up, you know, um, understanding the why of the DTOs. Well, that would be one book that I love. I love, uh, Simon Sinek's start with the why or find your why. Uh, those, those are great books to understand why why are we really doing what we're doing? Because we all love it. We all went to school to really treat patients. But if we kind of lose sight of that, which sometimes we do, um, it can take a lot of the joy and the fun out of, of coming to work each day. Um, and I think the guiding principles kind of help us stay focused on that. You know, they kind of answer our why pretty clearly. And so I'm glad we've got those in place. You know. Uh, we we opened up a hospital in Bakersfield and Vibra and was primarily the ones that opened it and they did not have the guiding principles. And it has been very apparent to me how really how meaningful those are and how those can really drive and direct uh, why we come to work every day and, and how meaningful it is. Another book that I just finished reading that I really like is Crucial Conversations by Joseph Greeney and Carrie Patterson. Um, you know, you're going to have times where you've got staff that you're going to have to have difficult conversations if their performance is such that, you know, you need to make some corrections. But a lot of times you don't want to end up losing those those staff members. You just want to help guide them and help course correct. And this is just a great book to help with some of those conversations that have to be made. And um, so that's another good one.
0: Digging into the why a little bit, I do agree with you that on the days where it feels like you're rolling a boulder uphill all day are the days where and if anybody's gotten into this job thinking that it's going to be easy uh after a week or two you probably realized it it is far from that on a daily basis there's some days where it's a a complete joy there's other days where um, it almost brings you to your knees and just Uh realize that that i feel like that's a normal experience in the in a leadership role but on those days when you are at a lower point being able to go back to the guiding principles to connect back to the why can help keep you grounded and, and give you the motivation to continue on. So when you've been in the tough spots or when you've helped coach us through tough spots, connect us a little bit more at that why level, at the at the emotional kind of fabric of, it almost comes back to how we all got into healthcare to some degree, but I, I I'll let you expand on that if you don't mind.
1: Well, I think as the director of therapy, you you get pulled into a lot of administrative type of tasks and you really need to figure out a way to kind of keep yourself grounded in the middle of all the patient care, whether you're still continuing to see a few patients and have some hands on treatment or uh, doing rounding and going in and talking with patients and being involved in the the patient satisfaction results that we get coming back if a patient's not happy, being the one to reach out and find out why and what we could have done differently. The more you connect with the patients and your staff, the more you're gonna always be able to see and feel why we're doing what we're doing. And you know, the administrative stuff, you know, that's that that is stuff that needs to be done. Um, But you're right, if you get so wrapped up into that and you're not really focused on what we're doing and the the importance of what we're doing it it could get real discouraging i think you know and 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 kind of mundane it'd be like why are we doing this now we're now we're back to scheduling again and it's you know but, but when you realize each patient and and the difference that we're making for each patient the scheduling becomes more important so you've got to keep a focus or an eye on the patients and your staff and when you have staff succeed and, and come in happy, I mean that that's that's huge as a leader, or as they move forward and progress. I mean, you know, you, that's always a good thing to see too. How many DTOs have elevated
0: or progressed on to becoming uh, a CEO or moved into home office or transitioned to be director of patient outcomes? And I don't know if you have a number on that or if that's something that you've thought about in a while. But I think this is. a a great job in teaching you how to be a leader in other aspects of inpatient rehab as well.
1: Do you have any? And I wish I had, had I wish I had that number off the top of my head, but it is huge. We have had a lot of of that exact thing happen. DTOs becoming DPOs or CEOs. I mean, it has happened quite, quite a bit.
0: And that crucial conversations book that you brought up. um, That is a point that I feel like sometimes when we get into this role It doesn't seem like we've got a lot of foundation of how to tackle that. Maybe when there's conflict amongst directs, or I think we've had tough conversations with patients, but that's been probably easier for us to have as therapists than what it is to have uh, conflicts amongst what used to be our peers, but now they're our directs. Uh, What in that book stood out that you could maybe just drop a knowledge bomb on us or uh, something that could help us along or make us want to go and grab that book and read
1: it? You know, I think sometimes these conversations are, um, they're difficult sometimes. And the information that you need to to pass on is not easy to hear or to say. Um, But I think being open and honest and transparent um, and, you know, understanding that these conversations have to happen, that, you know, a lot of times if you just leave them unsaid and hope that they resolve themselves, that's, that's the worst thing you can do. And so I think that um, just understanding and seeing the importance of these conversations before they become uh, irreconcilable—that's—that's that's, I think probably one of the things that I—I um, I think I knew before reading, but then it just really reinforced the importance of doing that. All right. Well,
0: I'll finish up at the the last of this of just leaving the mic open to you to. Anything else you'd like to say? What would you like to finish with? Encourage or, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it open-ended to you. So just finish this up on a, in a, a high note, if you will. Okay, well, the one thing
1: I would like to point out, because I don't think we, I mean, I think all of our current DTOs are aware of it, obviously, but I don't think um, we spend enough time talking about or passing it on to our staff. Um, and that is the fact that, The the program evaluation model from UDS, Um, a lot of our facilities, we know are in the top 10%, um, but I think some of our staff are like, well, what does that even mean? Do we just kind of say we're in the top 10%? You know, what, what exactly does that really mean? Well, UDS, and I think our staff need to understand this. And I, you know, I was in a staff meeting in Ogden the other day and um, I, saw some people kind of the the light bulb go on as I was talking about how meaningful this really is and how difficult it really is to to be in that top 10 percent year after year after year. Uniform Data Systems has 81 percent of the subscribers in the country so of all the inpatient rehabs in the country 81 percent subscribe to UDS. The the remaining 19 percent subscribe to e-rehab or none at all. They can transmit their pies to CMS directly without even subscribing. But when UDS came up with this program to rank hospitals each year based on your performance, it really is truly comparing you to almost the entire nation of rehab facilities. And there's five clinical indicators that they decided to rank you on. And it was the five they felt like were the most meaningful. Discharge to community, discharge to acute, your FOM change, your discharge bomb, and then your functional efficiency, which is basically the FOM change divided by the length of stay. and. Since this program started in 2006, the majority of our inpatient rehabs have been in the top 10% based on those five indicators. And that doesn't happen by accident. Um, it takes a lot of education. It takes a lot of training. As the director of therapy, you're, you're directly involved in that. You're having a huge impact on that. But to step back and think we've been in the top 10% in the country, I mean, that's like we're putting on a resume. You know, I worked for a company that was in the top 10% according to UDS of all earths in the country, and we maintain that year after year. I mean, that is an incredible uh, accomplishment. And I think that we have to continue to invest in our staff. We have to continue to make sure they're educated, make sure that their expertise is in the top 10%. And if we start to take our eye off it, you start to slip. Every hospital that hasn't made the top 10% is because they stopped really focusing on that. They started focusing on other things. But the good thing for us is the guiding principles go hand in hand with that top 10% program. And so if you focus on the right things and you really put forth the effort, then we'll make it year after year. And I think that the DTOs need to kind of stand up and take some credit for it because they're having a direct impact on them.
0: Yeah, and I might say it quite or paraphrase it wrong, but we're only as good as our last patient outcome is the one that stands out to me that kind of underscores what you're saying with the, the PEM yeah uh, well I appreciate your time. I appreciate you uh, getting us kicked off in a proper fashion. Um, so uh, thanks again and I'm sure I'll when we do the lesson on the, the PIM, I'll, I'll probably call you back again because good deal you're right. That's a, right. a a big deal. so and that's our episode. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of DTO Playbook podcast. We'll see you again in the near future. Thank you.